This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claygood and Cooper Linton, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. And this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. And you can always find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. And representing Transitions Life Care, we've got Cooper Linton in this evening. How are you, Cooper? Doing well. I just keep showing up, Jason. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Despite all of our attempts to keep you away, you, you still keep showing up. And representing Transitions Guiding Lights, Nicole Cleggett. Hey, Nicole. Hey, glad to be here. Excellent, excellent. It's good to see you. I am Jason Kong. And Cooper, we've got a, a great show lined up tonight. And we're going to start off talking about the medically underserved. And I think this is a, an important topic. So I'll let you take it from here. I think it's a topic that uh, actually we, we hear about in the news. We think about, uh, we talk about it at a national level, which is great. We need to have that conversation. But there really are people who are medically underserved. And that really means economically um, challenged. And and they don't have access to the same health care that we think is in this area. We live in an area with incredibly rich Access to to healthcare systems, uh, multiple teaching hospitals, an incredible array of um, of outpatient networks here, and and yet there are people who don't really have access to those same networks. Uh, and so we brought wanted to bring somebody on who has a, a very unique insight into this world and actually helps helps fix this problem, not just talk about it. And that's Meg Rader. She is the president and executive director for Alliance Medical Ministry. Uh, Meg's been with us on the show before, and we're just privileged to have you back, Meg. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So can we start with, not everybody has heard of, of Alliance Medical Ministry. Could you pretend we don't know anything about sure. it and, and school us a bit? Sure. So Alliance Medical Ministry is 15 years old, and we um, provide comprehensive primary health care to working uninsured adults in Wake County. So our target population are adults living in Wake County who have no insurance, and that includes Medicaid and Medicare and private insurance. But, but they're working, so either their, their employer doesn't provide it or they can't afford it themselves. So that's our target population has been from the very beginning. So it's really the folks that, that fall into this donut hole where they make just enough not to qualify for Medicaid. Um, they're not 65, so they're not in the Medicare world, but yet they have um, no access to, to care because they don't have insurance. So what Alliance provides is a comp- we're a comprehensive primary care. And when we say comprehensive, it's because a vulnerable population have not traditionally gone to the doctors regularly, mm-hmm. have got a lot of, of medical problems, and whether they're minor or, or um, much more severe. So the comprehensive part is that we really have to look at the whole person and really journey with them um, because there's a lot more that's affecting their health than, than the fact that they just haven't gone to the doctor. You know, um, and that's social factors, economic factors, environmental factors, all coming to bear on on people's physical health. And in order to really, really to improve health outcomes, we've got to be able to look at the whole person and, and where they are and start start um, together on, on the journey of improving health. So if you could give us some examples of what it means to be 
underserved and how that actually has an impact on that individual and, uh, quite frankly, our community. So typically it could range, um, you know, if you, if you don't have insurance, you're not going to go to the doctor for primary care at all, right? Because you, you can't afford it. Um, acute visits will often not, will go on, unchecked and they certainly often cannot afford to even go to the grocery store for, for over-the-counter medications. And you know, if you have children and you've had to go to the store for cough medicine, you walk out with like, you know, having spent 40 or $50 mm-hmm. on all of the supplies. Yeah. So that's a barrier. Um, also, in the acute case, you know whether it's a cough, a cold, a flu, they often end up in the emergency room, which is not the best place for us to be taking care of those patients. Emergency room really needs to be for for uh, real emergencies other things that are going on, <laughs> yeah. right? But you know when you when your child's got a cold or you've got a cold or you think you have the flu and you end up there or you end up at acute care centers and you know then have then you start running up bills that you that you can't afford so you stay away at all costs from from health care or these organizations absorb like the er's oh, right. they, they don't get reimbursed right. and then that sort of gets passed along right. to everyone right. else down right. the road and there's certainly a community uh, buy-in for helping people through the er right i mean it, at all three hospitals of course wake med sees the highest number of indigent and vulnerable population but but duke and unc of course all understand the the community impact and, and their their Part in all of this, but we do want to reduce the emergency room visits for non-emergency issues. And um, so, the, and the other thing is, you, know, you get into a doctor, you pay the the fee, um, even if it's a little clinic at the Walmart or whatever. But then it's maintaining the medication, which is very expensive, right? And if you don't have insurance, being able to afford the insulin. People will start uh, taking their medication, whether it's high blood pressure or insulin or whatever it might be. And stretching it out, they start well, splitting pills. Yeah, they so start gonna, doing every other doses. Exactly. So you're not going to you're not going to get any better. So those are the barriers that we immediately try to address when folks walk in the door. And really, everything that we do at Alliance, we do in collaboration because we are dealing with other things than just the actual exam by a physician. So we're able to really engage other organizations and um, other community partners in helping us. Such as? What, can you give me some examples? Yeah, so it, one of the initial things at the outset of Alliance was to address uh, mental health and counseling and what a huge part that plays in your physical health. And so from the beginning, we've had a pastoral care and counseling program that um, has, has really been very robust and has grown over the 15 years such that we have a director of pastoral care and counseling. Uh, we have uh, one, we have a full-time and a part-time staff person, and then they are surrounded by, uh, at any one time, five or six volunteers who are doing counseling, psychiatry, social work, case management, all wrapping around our um, our patients and really trying to, to deal with, the, help them deal with the stresses in their lives, the, the lifetime issues that they had that they've never addressed that are affecting their health, um, the, um, the emergency crisis that's going on in their lives, and we really try to wrap around and help them with those. That was one of the initial things that we did. So we do that a lot in partnership with other organizations. Um, For instance, in dealing with social work issues and case management, you find out that uh, in a patient's spouse or the patient themselves have lost their job. How can we connect them with the right resources and the right partners to help get them back on track, either with job training or uh, resume building or whatever the issue might be? Transportation is sometimes an issue. We're on a major bus line, but 
you know, cars broken down, the all kinds of issues that come up with that. And so we've got resources that we can connect people to. And it's really a very warm process. It's not, here's a number, give them a call. It's Let's call them. Let's see if you're gonna if we can get we're you in today. Together. Right, we're, doing we're gonna this do together. this together. Then one of the things that we that we develop we developed because we saw a need for, and that was access to food, access to fresh produce and healthy food, and what an important lifestyle change that is for for to affect people's health. Really, will help them improve their everything that, and hopefully, you know, you'd love to think. As they change their diet and exercise style, lifestyles, that they'll a lot of times these diseases go away, right? I mean, diabetes can easily be turned reversed with with proper management. Well, these are the social determinants of health. We use that language a lot, but essentially, do. if I don't have a place to live and I don't have food, I can't get to my job. These are things that have a negative impact on my health and quality of life, and ultimately have an, a, a, an expensive impact on society in so many ways. Right. So, it is called social determinants of health, but at Alliance, we've been calling it good health care for fifteen years. Well, but that's exactly I think it's what a great we've thing been to call it, addressing. So, work. Transportation, uh, food access. We have a large community garden that is uh, just unbelievable. We produce about 2,000 pounds of produce a year, and it all is for our patients, all free. That's incredible. Our guest this evening, Meg Rader with Alliance Medical Ministry. She is the president and executive director of that organization. And we will continue our conversation in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton. And our guest this evening is Meg Rader. She's the president and executive director of Alliance Medical Ministry. And Nicole, we're talking a lot about the medically underserved. And we've uh, we've kind of gone at this from a, a big picture point of view, and we may hone down a little bit. But man, this is a problem that uh, if, if you're not really aware of it, it's, it's easy to kind of go unnoticed. Definitely. You know, one of the things I think, you know, sometimes we live in a little bubble here in RTP area and I think it's easy to make an assumption when you look around at the buildings and the neighborhoods that overall we ha- we live in a very affluent area. We're rich in resources. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, how big of a problem is this really for Wake County? And so, Meg, I was wondering if you could kind of zoom in on that a little bit and talk to us a little bit about really how big of a problem is this, you know, for the group that you are trying to serve and, and you know, why should we all pay attention to this issue? So, it's a problem in the sense of we don't want to be this affluent, well-resourced community and still have people suffering and not having access, right? It really doesn't matter if it's 10 people or a million people. We don't want that to be um, our community. We want to be able to be supportive and helpful. So in Wake County, we have about 90 or 95,000 people who are uninsured that um, need access to health care. That's it's, a lot. It's a lot. And if you put it into the perspective of, Alliance and what piece are we playing? We're actually a fairly large clinic, and we have about twenty six hundred patients. Oh, wow. Well, that doesn't that, that, scratch the yeah. surface. That's the tip and, of the iceberg, yeah, right and, there. And there are other 
uh, resources, but um, in thinking about the three or four uh, players in the, that are safety net clinics, I mean, all together we're probably only seeing 5,000, 6,000 maybe tops. Out of all that number. Out of that number. And the rest of them are just Relying drifting. on the ER and health department, you know, going to the health department and and not taking care of them, you know, not taking care of themselves. So this is a population that we really need to help lift up because you know, improving, helping people improve their health and helping them break down barriers, they'll be better parents, they'll be better workers, they'll take less time off work, they won't be in the ER, they'll be giving back to the community in the ways that, that they can. And that's important for a community like Wake County that is... Um, so rich with resources and, and every citizen and um, can participate in the life and thrive in our community. So it seems to me like it's a pretty invisible group of people. If we're only reaching all total 5,000 of the 90 some odd thousand, how do, you know, the radio may not be the best way to find them. How do we find them? How do we help the community members get these folks to you and the other clinics like you? So a lot of our work for that is is through partnerships. All three hospitals have case managers and they're, they're really working on this issue too because they want to get people through out of who come through their ER or who are discharged from their hospitals who don't have insurance they want to get them to primary care providers and so they're a great resource and great partners but also other organizations right we're all whether it's housing or transportation organization or job placement organization or child care organizations or child safety organizations we're all working with a lot of the same population so to be able to cross-pollinate and for us to be able to help our patients with those services and they're able to get their clients health care is is huge and so a lot of it is through connections and relationships um, with other organizations and that's how that's frankly how we've been able to grow so if someone's listening, you know, this evening mm-hmm. um, and, and they need access to care or they know someone who needs access to this kind of care, how do they reach Alliance Medical Ministry? How does this get started for the individual and that, patient? We certainly have folks that aren't coming through referrals, to your point. A lot of it's word of mouth. A lot of it will be someone will hear all this radio program and want to know more about it. So it's it's our website, which is www.alliancemedicalministry.org has a click on there on how to become a patient. So it talks about the eligibility criteria, and it even has the couple of forms that need to be filled out and completed. So it's pretty simple. Pretty simple, and we've we've tried to make it as simple as possible. And once, once we get them into Alliance, we do a lot to help embed them because there's a lot of ways and resources that we can access of fairly quickly for them around medication assistance and any additional referrals that they may need x-rays, urology, oncology, all of those we can get through referral systems with all the right paperwork, which we will help them with. So forgive me for asking this, but you're giving all this away, Meg. (laughs) How do you stay open? Well, through the generosity of our community. We are a private, you know, we're a nonprofit, and we have about a $1.6 million budget. About 400,000 of that is, is services. The hospitals support us through operating budgets and our patient fees. We're not a free clinic. We're considered a charitable clinic and we, um, our patients pay on a sliding scale. So a primary care visit's about $20 and that includes labs. That includes the time with the physician, the The time with the nurse. Labs are covered in the $20? Yes, they are. They are. That's amazing. Because the generosity of UNC 
Rex, they, they do our pathology for us, all of our labs. So again, in partnership, we're able to keep the cost low and the value high for those who are investing in Alliance. And so then there's about $1.2 million that we raise every single year, $1 at the time. That's impressive. Well, I, and I know that most people, if they can pay something, they want to pay something. They do want to pay something. Yeah, they, they, they may not have $300, but they've got $15, right. and they want to pay that. Exactly, exactly. I think we probably have a few minutes to talk a little bit about some of your wellness programs. I know you're really excited about that, and that's a huge differentiator, I think, uh, uh, related to your clinic. I think so. I think it's our niche. We've uh, It started with the garden. Uh, where we're able to, um, and that again was in partnership with the Interfaith Food Shuttle, who taught us how to put in a garden, what to mm-hmm. what to do with the garden, how to run it, and we actually have a full time garden and wellness coordinator now. So we have a garden where we're harvesting, we're planting and harvesting vegetables and fruit, um, and then we've got an herb garden. We have bees, so we have honey. We are building a greenhouse right now. We have a walking trail. So there's lots of ways that we can help people right on site. Um, as soon as they become a patient. And that's all free and accessible to the patient. You know, one of the things that I've learned about underserved populations through my years of working in healthcare is that, you know, we know what the foods are that folks need to eat in order to maintain a healthy life, but a lot of these folks have never even tasted some of these foods. And so what are some of the things that you do to try to educate and help people grow a taste because you know i might say you should have some radishes and then they might look at me and you know (laughs) so how do you handle that begin getting people off of some of those you know cooking collard greens and bacon fat versus sure exactly spinach that's sauteed you can talk about it all day long right but um who's going to really eat eat that but we do that's part of the wellness programming we do uh cooking classes that are about um cooking healthy and um affordable meals for your mm-hmm. family and often the whole families will be involved in that which is the other key right you got to have the whole family involved the mom may figure it out but the kids mm-hmm. need to figure it out too so we work with the post center for health education and they have a curriculum and they help our children as we're helping the parents and there's cooking classes there's gardening classes um we also will bring fresh fresh produce right into the lobby hey you need to taste these radishes Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I love th- me some bacon. Think? Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so, what do you think of this? And he, and recipes, right? Provide recipes with all of the all the vegetables. And we also learned what it is that people do like. We have a pretty high um, ethnic population, Spanish ethnic population, and so all the varieties of peppers we now grow in the uh-huh. garden, and, and things that um, that we know that that they like and and enjoy and. Well, I like peppers, but also like my collars cooked in, 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 in pork, I'm just saying. I, well, listen, you could do it with a little fat, chicken fat, and huh. some broth, okay. and salt and pepper, and you can, you can come out with some really good I don't really have to collars. use hog jaw. No, you do not have <laughs> to. Okay, I'm just bringing it up. It's just, it's a fair question. Why? You, we, um, I appreciate the, the, the focus on wellness, because I think it really broadens the view of what health is, and I... I appreciate what you guys are doing, particularly when we talk about is this a social determinant of health or is this really healthy living in the way we take care of the people in our own community? And it, and it's both, right? I think one of the things that we have found, the indirect benefit of our wellness programs is the community that's building, um, both at, you know on-site at the clinic, but a lot of our population are in isolation in a, in a sense that they just just got to get through the day. We got to get get to work. Got to get the kids kids childcare. We've got a million things we got to try to do just to get through the day. And so, 
there's a there is a sense of isolation so to come into a group whether it's a yoga class or a cooking class or a gardening class and the person next to you is in your same situation and then so all of a sudden you have this great bond and this great sense of community and then you'll go with those folks are you going to take the cooking class next month yeah sure so we start building community which is really important um to for, for people's health meg thank you so much for joining us this evening we really appreciated it you're welcome. Thanks for having me. She is Meg Rader. She is the president and executive director of Alliance Medical Ministry. I want to remind you, if you want to find more information about them online, it's alliancemedicalministry.org, or you can just Google Alliance Medical Ministry. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Claggett and the Caregiver Summits are coming up and we've uh, got our website, caregiversummit.org. And uh, boy, I, I think we... We should go way back, Cooper. We're going we to go to the way back machine, and we should get the origin story. Go all of, the way back the to the beginning. Summit. Yes, well, you know the, the the whole caregiver conference or caregiver summit concept actually started with a very simple question. One of our volunteers at what was then Hospice of Wake County, now Transitions Life Care, asked a simple question: Is there a place that caregivers can go to learn about what's available in our community? and find out what resources they can access and actually meet with other caregivers. And I said, no, I don't really think so. And the next question was, well, why not? Um, And for some people who are listening, they may actually know who this volunteer was. It was a gentleman by the name of David White, um, who is uh, no longer with us, but uh, this is part of the legacy that he kick-started over 10 years ago with that very simple question, and just prodded us to say, how could we be a leader in reaching out to caregivers and, and engaging the caregiver community? Uh, and so it started off with a one evening event uh, at the Woman's Club, and that turned into a conference with various partners in the community. And then 10 years later, we find ourselves here with four conferences, four summits that are being held, uh, three of them here in the Triangle and one in Bowie's Creek in partnership with Harnett Health System and Campbell Medical School. So things have changed a little bit, and one of our partners is actually with us to this evening. So uh, Lisa Levine with Alzheimer's North Carolina, she's the program director there, which means if it's program, she runs it all. <laughs> uh, she, We've worked together for quite a while. And Lisa, thank you for joining us this evening and talking a little bit about the programs because you and Nicole are really the brain children behind these four conferences. Well, thank you for having me back. It's my eighth year involved, but excited to be our 10-year anniversary. You're not counting, are you? No, not at all. (laughs) Eight fun years. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I think we've grown from maybe 100 or 200 people to probably close to 800 people served. So Mm -hmm. we really have come a long way. And it just shows how many caregivers are out there that need this support. So I like to always start off when we talk about these caregiver summits and helping people identify whether or not they're actually a caregiver. So you know you're a caregiver if... 
Well, most of the caregivers that we work with are actually unpaid. Mm -hmm. And basically, they're a member of someone's social network who is helping them. Often it's an elderly person who needs assistance. Most people think of caregivers as providing some kind of physical support activities of daily living, but it might be more providing emotional support or it might be providing information. It might actually be supporting another caregiver as well. Um, You might be the support for your best friend who's taking care of their mom. Mm -hmm. So caregivers come in a variety of packages. Most are um, in their 60s, 70s and up, and they're women, but we see a wide variety. And I think, you know, caregiving, I've done this multiple times myself, it kind of sneaks up on you. So it might start off as, you know, mom calling up every day saying, oh, grab this at the grocery store, grab that at the grocery store. Then suddenly you find yourself buying the weekly groceries. And then suddenly you find yourself bringing someone to doctor's appointments or helping manage bills. And so then the next thing you know, if you actually step back and look at it, you're spending, you know, a couple hours a week doing something for your loved one. And then it just goes on and moves forward. And then all of a sudden, one day you go, wow, this is taking up a lot of my time. But you still may not call yourself a caregiver. You just may consider yourself a child or a spouse just supporting your loved one. And you don't have to be related to that Mm -hmm. person either. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just helping my neighbor out. Mm -hmm. But actually, you're that caregiver. Yeah, you were recently a caregiver for a friend. Right. And got really involved in it. Definitely. So you just, you never know. And you're right. I don't think you consider yourself a caregiver. Most people, when they're in it, they can't take that step back to really look at the big picture. But Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there's, you know, over about 44 million unpaid caregivers out there in the country right now. And so most people are taking care of someone else, whether they know it or not. So we do have these four upcoming caregiver summits, which we're super excited about. But the one we want to focus on today is the one that's coming up on June 14th, located in the RTP Durham area at the Sheraton Imperial. And that is a brand new location for us, which we're really excited about. It has, for those of you who've never been there, ample parking, very centrally located right off of the highway. Really, you can't miss it. And yeah, you really can't miss it. I mean, I, and I miss things. I need my GPS to get out of a paper bag. So if I can get there, you can get there. Um, talk to us a little bit more about kind of what this day looks like, Lisa, and what we can expect. Well, one thing we're excited about in this new venue is parking is easier, Mm -hmm. getting into the building is easier, and uh, getting to our sessions is easier. We have a lot of things that we offer during the day. It's educational based, but we, uh, so we have uh, four different sessions that people can go to, but we also have a lot of resources. We have exhibitors that are there sharing information. So you can come and it's sort of one-stop shopping for anything you might need caregiver related. And you may not need it today, but you'll probably need it tomorrow. So you need to come and talk to those people. We offer a nice lunch for everyone and a lot of networking opportunities. We have had so many people say, I felt like I was in this alone until I came to the conference and I met all these other people who are doing the same thing I'm doing. And it really has made a difference for them. Definitely. So we do. And the other thing that we like to talk about when we talk about the caregiver summits is how we try to make it as affordable as possible for people to attend. So for family caregivers that or, or friends that are caregivers <laughs> that would like to come to the actual summit, it only costs 15 
fifteen dollars, and and that you can well imagine it costs a lot more per person to attend this conference than fifteen dollars. But we really do it um, for folks to make it as affordable as possible. But we would not be able to do that without the support of our sponsors. So this year we're super lucky to have AARP come on board to actually underwrite all four of our upcoming summits, and we have two presenting sponsors also, Clarity Legal Group and LifeLinks, uh, and then we have um, for the specifically the RTP Durham Summit, we have uh, Right at Home of Durham, and we also have HomeWatch Caregivers of the Triangle sponsoring as session sponsors this year. So between those folks and all of our exhibitors, that's really what offsets the price to make it affordable for all of you to be able to attend. Right. And we are so looking forward to having some of these sponsors actually as presenters this year as well. So uh, Clarity Legal Group is not only going to be a sponsor, but they're also going to be doing a session on legal issues. And LifeLinks is going to be doing a session on how to build your care team. So identifying all the different roles that you might need people to help you as that sole caregiver and how to find them. And we also um, want to make people aware as well, which is a change from last year. Uh, these Every single conference actually has a separate agenda, so a separate uh, grouping of sessions. Right. So no two are the same. And we did spread them apart this year. Previously, we held the Durham and the Raleigh summits the same month, a week apart. Uh, but this year, you know, we've been listening to our caregivers and we take our evaluations very seriously and they really help us shape what we're going to talk about the following year during our summits. And folks really wanted to have the opportunity to attend more summits throughout the year. So we did actually spread these summits um, quite a bit apart from each other so that folks could actually attend the RTP summit, you know, in June. And then if they wanted to attend the summit in Raleigh in October and, and kind of break it up through the year that way, they could do that as well as as well as the one we do in Chapel Hill um, in August and then also the one in Bowie's Creek in October. So that, right. that's so, a new change for us. Yeah, four conferences, yes. four different sets of agendas. Yes. If everyone really wants a lot of information they could go to all four of them actually and learn different things at each one so talk to us a little bit more about some of those sessions and it really is a broad uh, um, listing of offerings that really support the caregiver no matter what their journeys are So we have a lot of uh, local groups represented, a lot of uh, professionals here. We have a speaker from UNC this year that's going to share information about over-the-counter medications, which we know is always a big issue. We have Melanie Bunn, who's a nurse specialist in the area, to talk about Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, We're excited this year to do a session on meditation Mm -hmm. and how it's accessible for everyone. We are going to have a great presentation on the five love languages for caregivers that's based on a book by Dr. Gary Chapman and uh, Wyveta Smith from NC BAM is going to be presenting that. It's a wonderful session. We have um, the North Carolina Department of Insurance is going to be there and again we have the virtual dementia tour which is a dementia simulation that we've had for so many years because everyone requests it every year. Yeah, uh, from the summits that we attended last year, my, it was my first year attending them and man that was a, a popular uh, attraction that a lot of folks seem to mention. It is very powerful. Yeah, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We appreciate having you here in the studio. Thank you for having me. She is Lisa Levine, and she is the program director of Alls NC, and we were talking all about the Caregiver Summits, and you can find more information 
about them at caregiversummit.org. And we will continue to talk about that every week here on Aging Matters. Uh, We've got plenty, plenty in store. And so if you're interested in attending and want to learn more, keep listening because we've got plenty of information for you. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-hosts, Nicole Claggett and Cooper Linton. Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here alongside Cooper Linton. Cooper, you've brought in another guest for us this evening. Who do we have here in the studio? Uh, I am privileged this evening, actually, to have a guest with us, Betsy Barton, who is with Transitions Life Care. So I don't often get to interview someone who is in the same organization that I'm employed by, which is a real privilege. Uh, Betsy is a hospice and palliative care educator, uh, but has a very diverse background. And we're going to tap that background a little bit this evening because she and I had an interesting conversation this past week about we just don't get out of this world the way that we used to. Betsy, what, where did how did that conversation get going? Well, you know, I think uh, we all tend to just be where we are, right, and not think about, well, how did things used to be or something like that. And so I always like to have this conversation uh, in the context of a little bit of that. Like if you think about 100 years ago, people died of, what did we die of 100 years ago? Accidents. Infections. Infections. Like literally 100 years ago, the flu pandemic and, and childbirth. Those were the three top causes of death 100 years ago. Now, what are we looking at? It's really different. We're looking at chronic illnesses like COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or chronic heart failure, or cancer, which is now transitioning to... A chronic illness. Right. It's not a deadly disease anymore a lot of time. It's a chronic illness. So then a lot of times people have not just one of those, but a couple. Throw in diabetes, dementia. So, you know what... What calls to when I think about that? I think about this Wizard of Id cartoon, that where the uh, the guy goes to the wizard and says, "Hey, uh, do you have something that stops the aging process?" And the the guy, the wizard, goes, "Yeah, sure. What kind of illness would you like?" So <laughs> that's you know because we're all born, sick but true, sick but true. We're all born. We all know. As there's a great book by this title, we we know how this ends. We're all born. We're all going to die at some point. So. The thing to me is, well, when we know that, how can we put that on the table and look at it a little bit, think about it, and figure out what is it that I want? You know, when a woman's having a baby, uh, a lot of times people will do a birth plan, Mm -hmm. right? And they say, I'm going to have a natural childbirth, and I want to be surrounded by beautiful music and all of my friends, and I don't want any medication. And then when the time comes, they're like, give me the epidural. I changed my mind. Right? But we have a plan. Right. We might not follow the plan, and we can change the plan at any moment, but we have a plan. Now, look at the other end of life. We don't got a plan. We don't want to think about this. We don't want to talk about it. We don't even say, when I die. Think about it. Listen to people when, you know, when you're if, walking around. If I say, die. Exactly. They say, well, yeah. if I die. Like, really? If you die? Yeah, the odds are pretty solid that you're not going to get out of here alive. 
Pretty much. I don't mean the radio studio. I think we're good about getting out of the radio <laughs> studio this evening alive. I just want to be clear. I didn't want you to get spooked. Thank you. Whew. Yeah. So we had an interesting conversation about a card game. And that kind of threw me for a second. We were talking, you, you mentioned a card game to talk about what do I want, not if, but when I die or how what happens before I die. And I need to better understand what you're talking about there. Can you kind of walk us through this card game? And uh, will you hold the, uh, the cards up to the microphone so that everybody out there can see? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about this. So... As we know, there's a wonderful uh, research institution, medical institution, kind of close to us at Duke. Also has uh, a pretty good ba- ba- basketball team. Yeah. Also has a pretty good basketball team. So a researcher there named Karen Steinhauser uh, developed, did a bunch of research about what's important to people as they face the end of life. And I don't mean like I'm 40 years old and in 40 years I'm going to die. I mean like, okay, we're getting down to the wire here. We're looking at months or months to weeks, you know, being alive. And uh, so she did some research. She asked 1,500 people, hey, what's the most important thing to you? That's a lot of people. Not just a survey monkey, but, you know, a a qualitative research, really talking to people and saying, when it really comes down to it, when push comes to shoves, what's important to you? So she did this research, and some brilliant person who I don't even know who it is created a deck of cards based on that research saying, okay, when when we come down to it, here's what's usually most important to people. And so what this game is, which is called the Go Wish card game. Not Go Fish? Go Wish. Go Wish, so gotcha. it's kind of like Go Fish, right? But it's Go Wish. And um, let me say before I go any further that this is available online for free. So anybody could go to their website, www.gowishalloneword.org, and you can play the game. I can play it online? Somebody could look online when they're listening to this show. It's kind of like, if anybody's ever, have you ever played online solitaire? Yes. Okay. Most of us have. It's the same exact thing. The card deck is in the upper left-hand corner. You click on the deck, and then you move it where you want to move it, and I'll explain that. So, basically, so there's 37 cards. It's about what's important to me. So, for instance, one of them is uh, to take care of unfinished business with family and friends, or... Uh, to trust my doctor, or my personal favorite, to uh, have a sense of humor. Gotcha. Because if I'm going down, I'm going down laughing, whatever's <laughs> the situation. You know, I want to be like my friend Barb, who had dementia, and she could make fun of herself even when she had dementia. She could still make fun of herself, you know? That's a gift. It is a gift. So, and sometimes we have to, in order to get the gift we want, we have to, we have to know what we want first, right? Be able to articulate. Because otherwise, when it floats by, we don't even know until it's too late. Wait, wait, I wanted that. I wanted that gift. So this deck of cards is about picking what's important. And we're all raised in different families. We have different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different personalities. We even have different, even in the same family, we have different birth order. And so, you know. Everyone else is crazy but me or whatever. We all have different <laughs> I think every person in every family feels like everybody else is crazy. Exactly. But so anyway, the point being that um, we all have our different ways of looking at this. And these cards are a way to say, this is me looking at what's important to me at the end of my life. Because when it comes down to it, 
we have to know what we want first. And then we have to tell people what's important to us. And then we have to work to create the conditions to get what we want. So these cards are kind of a first step. Um, in a lot of ways, I think they're a, a good stepping stone to doing an advanced directive. Because advanced directive is kind of scary, right? It has some legal language, and there's boxes to check, and I don't really know what this means. Anything that might involve lawyers sometimes gets people spooked. Right. And, you know, really, you don't even have to have a lawyer to do an advanced directive. But a lot of people won't tell you that. But the cards, you know, nobody is scared if they're going to see a card that says, to be treated the way I want. Yeah, I want to be treated the way I want. That matters to me. But, you know, does it matter more than, for instance, this other card, not dying alone? That's going to be di different people are going to value those things differently. So they're going to plain quote, playing this game is a way to take these 37 things and line them up, 1 to 37. What's my most important? It's establishing priorities out of your wishes. What are, what are my wishes? And then of those, how do they rank? Because if I don't place a value on them and place a level of importance on them, then I'm really not going to be able to articulate those to the people I love and have a plan in place that helps me get what I said I wanted. That's right. So somebody might say they want, they want to be resuscitated. You know, yeah, if my heart stops, I want you to bring me back. But uh, they also say maybe they pick a card that says, I don't want to be connected to tubes. Uh, you know, I don't want to be in an ICU connected to a ventilator. Jason's going to close the segment with telling folks how to get to our website, but anticipate that you're going to hear more in the next couple months about advanced directives because we really want to have a stronger dialogue in our community about these these documents and how they can benefit patients, their loved ones, their families, and their caregivers. It's very important, and we will continue to have that discussion. And Betsy Barton, hospice and palliative care educator with Transitions Life Care, thank you so much for being a part of that conversation tonight. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I was glad to be here. We are just about out of time. I want to remind everyone you can go to transitionslifecare.org if you want to get a hold of Betsy, or uh, again, uh, gowish.org was the uh, the website for the, uh, the very neat card game that Betsy discussed as well. You can find a, a copy of this episode on WPTF.com. Head over to the host section and look for Aging Matters, and you can find this episode along with every other episode that we've done if you want to catch up there. Uh, on behalf of Cooper Linton, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.